In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one woman and one man will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Emily Jones and Eric Johnson star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the others have never even seen. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. This season, we've been doing things a little bit differently. We've been bringing in friends of ours as guest geeks to fill us in on the pop culture that we have both managed to miss. Hard as it may be to believe, there's a lot of it. Today, we're watching Twin Peaks, the mystery drama series that started on ABC in 1990. The story revolves around a small town in Washington State, the murder of a local teenager, and an FBI agent who comes in to help figure things out. And there are lots and lots of people who really love this show. I think I'm friends with most of them. As am I. Uh, but neither Emily nor I has seen Twin Peaks, which is a travesty. Yeah, apparently, according to many of our friends anyway. Uh, so we need some help, and that is coming in the form of a friend of mine, Christopher. Hi, Christopher. Hello, Emily. And hi, Eric. Hey, Christopher. Hello. Uh, I guess I should fully introduce you. This is Christopher McCammon, uh, who you've never heard on the podcast before, but... If you listen to our Harry Potter episode several seasons ago, uh, that was actually Christopher's son, Eben, was was yeah. our guest, our guest uh, noob to talk about Harry Potter. So, <laughs> yeah, he thanks this, for that. We read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the for the right, first time. Yeah. That that was uh, that was a delightful episode. This it morning was. he was teasing me a bit about like, oh yeah, Dad, I blazed this trail for you. It's your turn. <laughs> I've done this already. Now you get to catch up. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. So before we kind of dive into the actual discussion of what we watched, um, could you just give us a little bit of an uh, intro of why why you picked this show or kind of, you know, what it, what it means to you? Yeah, wow. So there's a lot I could say about that. I'm actually barely old enough that I could have watched it the first time around. I mean, when it was actually on television in the early 90s, I was 12 years old, uh, or almost 12 when it came out. And I was vaguely aware of it. I remember seeing advertisements for it. And I think I I even read a review of the pilot, because I was the kind of 12-year-old kid that would like read newspaper reviews (laughs) of things, mostly because my parents were very, very strict. And it was kind of the only way I had of finding out what was going on in the broader world. Uh, so I've I've been vaguely aware of it for a long time. I didn't actually watch it though until well um, about three years ago. Um, it had been on my radar for a long time. People had said, you know, this is just the kind of a show you should watch, and so I finally did. Like three years ago, I just moved to Savannah, Georgia, and didn't really know anyone, and was spending a lot of time at home with my children. And finally, I just decided one day that I would start watching Twin Peaks. I had no idea this was that recent for you, because you have, like, Twin Peaks artwork in your house. Yeah, 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 I do. (laughs) In my office, in my house. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I just assumed this was, like, a long-time obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... No, I mean, it's, like I said, I, I, I have the profile of someone who's been obsessed with it for a long time. I'm age appropriate for a decades long Twin Peaks obsession, but it's only about three years old for me. So, yeah, because they just recently brought the show back on Showtime. It was like a revival series or something to that effect. And so there's a lot of people who were, you know, I think writing and, and talking about, you know, watching the original series on ABC yeah. and then now here was this like unlikely revival. Right. Yeah. Um, but we can get into that later on. I mean, my parents watched it. Obviously, I did not because I was like a baby. Um, but it's but it's actually a show that my parents my par- and my parents don't particularly like Twin Peaks, actually, despite having watched it and been really, really into it at the time. They got really frustrated with it. Uh, so it's actually a show that was talked about like throughout my childhood, but mostly in a negative 
life. Yeah. So like yeah, when yeah. I met you and became more aware of like the the like modern current binge watching obsession with Twin Peaks that yep. exists, I was somewhat surprised because I it was a show that again my parents always talked about like in a in a fairly negative light. Yeah, like a joke. Really frustrated, yeah. and I think stopped watching it. Right. Right. I mean, but. It didn't take me long once I started watching it. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that uh, it, it's this. if this is exaggerated, it's only slightly exaggerated that my Twin Peaks obsession probably started during the opening credits the first time I saw them. <laughs> like, I mean, it was just like, I mean, it almost feels like that the first time I heard those, just that opening bass line of the music the twangy bass guitar boom 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 yeah just instantly (laughs) it was like well this is something that i've always wanted to watch and this has always been my favorite show and now i'm just watching it for the (laughs) first time that's what it felt like so on that note let's let's discuss uh... which episodes we're gonna watch so we are watching uh the pilot episode and then the second episode we'll be uh, watching is called Zen or the Art to Catch a Killer. And it's, I think lots of people look at it as the episode where Twin Peaks really kind of achieves its stride as, as Twin Peaks, sort of all the, the elements of, of Twin Peaks fully come in, into the light or into the dark in, in that episode. <laughs> And then lastly, uh, we'll watch an episode uh, that wraps up the initial, or I mean, I should say in quotation marks, wraps up the initial who killed Laura Palmer arc of the show. And again, uh, each of, actually, you know, obviously Twin Peaks is associated with David Lynch uh, as the director, but he only, he didn't direct as many episodes as people sometimes think. Uh, a lot of the episodes were outsourced to uh, other directors, but he directed all three of these. So this is all hmm. okay. all David know. Lynch. Cool. So um, then, yeah, to watch these episodes, Emily. there's a million ways to watch them. It it would appear whatever your whatever your streaming preference is. We've got Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, Showtime, anytime, or it's on the CBS website. Really? Yeah, I mean, with advertisements, but but it's, even it's though there. it's not a CBS show, apparently, I think because I think CBS owns Showtime. I think okay weird maybe um and then of course you can also buy the episodes if you would rather do that for some reason um they're on itunes google play amazon voodoo all the usual places uh so go watch those three episodes that christopher mentioned they're pilot zen or the skill to catch a killer and lonely souls um which are if it's easier season one episodes one and three and then season two episode seven yep yes and then rejoin us here for discussion with spoilers We're back. We just watched three episodes of Twin Peaks. Uh, and before we get to what Eric and I thought of it as the noobs, uh, first off, uh, Christopher, 
What is it that you, you can just pick one thing. Um, what do you love so much about Twin Peaks? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. It's like the yeah, hardest question in right. podcasting, Yeah, yeah. Um, like, we've done so many of these episodes, and we are never ready for this question. Yeah, that we, always like, ask we each made other, up the so. format, and we don't know yeah. how to answer that question ever. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I guess what I love most about Twin Peaks was the feeling I got very early on in the show, maybe during the course of the pilot, uh, a kind of feeling of a, a weird sense of being recognized. I mean, in the sense that there are elements about my experience of the world uh, as a as a child, in particular, uh, that the show was kind of picking up on in in odd ways, and not just because I was, you know, actually a child when it when it came out, more <laughs> or less, anyway. Um, but this 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 sense of of warmth and of good humor and even of love as just existing right alongside the most wrenching forms of horror <laughs> that I had not really come across anywhere else. And, I mean, I, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family, and uh, that was very much kind of my experience of, of the world as a child, right? That my earliest memories of home and of family and warmth and good humor uh, coexisted with this in this worldview where the most raw kind of evil is always a threat and ever kind of lurking. And so I, I, I grew up, I mean, not without, I mean, not really recognizing it at the time, but I, I certainly grew up with that feeling. And I picked up on that same feeling right away in, in, in Twin Peaks and, and felt weirdly, like I said, uh, like it was picking up on a, a part of my own experience that it was articulating something that right. felt like really on a deep level familiar. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a nice way of putting it. And can I ask, if you don't mind me asking, did you also grow up in a small town similar to the the one we see in the show here, or was it was it more like the broader themes? Um, I I did grow up about well, it's been about half of my growing up in a little town in in rural Ohio, but I was pretty isolated even from the life of that small town because I was homeschooled, and uh, so so much of my childhood was just divided between home and uh, well, church functions. Uh, my dad's a minister. So uh, I, I'm not really in a position to to say what the town was like because I just spent so much so little of my hmm. childhood actually kind of in it, uh, just on the periphery, yeah. really. Interesting. So you really connect to Twin Peaks on like a super deep level. Yeah, I guess like, so. Well, it's a cool story or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like in my experience, uh, you know, broadly there are sort of two types of Twin Peaks fans and the different types, I mean, they overlap, right? It's not like they're mutually exclusive categories, but there are people that really respond to Twin Peaks as a, as a kind of puzzle. So they, you know, just sort of go through every episode with a fine toothed comb and develop all these elaborate theories. And I mean, the show certainly lends itself to that. It's not like, I think in any way, a mistaken way to, to experience Twin Peaks, but the other camp is more, people who love Twin Peaks more as a feeling. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like 75, 25 of Twin Peaks as feeling kind of a guy. Sorry. It isn't that's no, the question. <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't no, no, at no. all. <laughs> yeah. We're just like wondering where to pivot from. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, this is, this is nowhere near as, as deep as your commentary. Um, it's so funny that you you both talked about the music in the intro. And I mentioned that my parents watched the watched the show yeah. uh, when it was on. Um, and I had this weird experience that I've had a couple times. As soon as the music started, I was like, I know this music. <laughs> like on a super deep somewhere in my brain, I have known this music my entire life. Like I know this. When music. you were a baby, like you I, were watching it. <laughs> I know this music. Um, yeah. Even though, like, I had, I have never consciously. So I actually, it's funny. I was um, after watching these episodes, I was home briefly uh, visiting my parents, and then all of a sudden, the Twin Peaks music was playing, and I was like, 
dad, how long have you owned the Twin Peaks soundtrack? And he was like, oh, we bought it like when the show came out because we thought the music was really cool. And I was like, yeah. did you used to listen to this a bunch? And he was like, yeah, I guess so. We were kind of like, yeah. we were into it for a while until we got sick of the show. So sure enough, apparently the Twin Peaks soundtrack was just on in my house when I was a child and I internalized the music. Yeah. Now I'm, we know why Emily is so screwed up. That all makes sense. I, there, you have, there you have it. Oh, yeah. That music is, it's so important to the show. It's so it's, good. It's, I, the, yeah. The music, the music is like, I feel like is is like eighty percent of the atmosphere of the show is just right. like how much that music conveys. Like it's yeah. really well done. No, there's a uh, a YouTube video that everyone should watch. Even if you if you just have any interest at all, just broadly in like the creation of art, it's this really magical video of Angelo Badalamenti who wrote the music for the show, talking about how he and David Lynch worked together to write uh, what's called Laura Palmer's theme. And it's just Which amazing. Is not the theme of the show. It's, it's a different No, it's a different music. piece of music. Yeah, yeah. But okay. you have, uh, it's basically David Lynch telling Angelo Badalamenti, describing a scene, and then just Badalamenti just nailing it on the first try. And yeah. you know David Lynch saying, "Okay, wow. well, that's it. Don't change a single note of that. That's exactly how it should feel. That's Twin Peaks. Uh, it's just such a great little. I mean, like I said, just generally about two artists working together and getting kind of just at yeah. A level well, of incredible. you should send that to us, and we can put it on the blog post. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, so should we get into, uh, what Emily and I thought of, uh, these episodes or? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> generally on this show, uh, the, most of the stuff we watch falls into two camps. Either I love it or I like it with qualifications and <laughs> I don't want to demean your life experience or the fact that this show resonated with you on a philosophically like incredible, you know, earth shaking level. Profound level. level. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think I'm kind of more in the Emily's parents, uh, camp of the show. I, uh, I was not really into Twin Peaks, at least, at least the little sample of it that we tried here with these three episodes. I should actually, Um, I should actually interject here lest we, lest we misrepresent my parents' feelings on Twin Peaks, (laughs) because I discussed this with them, because I remember them talking about Twin Peaks all the time. Um, and actually, like... If you didn't like the show, you definitely did not not like it for the reason that my parents didn't. Because I was actually shocked when we got to the third episode and, like, it was actually, like, pretty much, like, concluding, like, like we found the out. Laura Palmer I story. mean, I was confused about who killed Laura Palmer, but, like, because it was it's a really confusing and deeply disturbing scene by the way was not really into that scene yeah but um but it seemed like it seemed like there was conclusion to the mystery like they found out and i assume that in the ensuing episodes like it comes out like what happened and who killed laura palmer or whatever um like it was her dad but also some creepy other dude that her dad turns into what anyway the point is i was surprised (laughs) that there was any conclusion at all because my parents complaint about Twin Peaks was that it was like a great show when it first started out and like really kind of kind of drew them in and they were all into it and then they they feel that it kept like dragging out the mystery and like refusing to solve the mystery and just like stringing them along forever and ever and ever Mm -hmm. so I was surprised that there was a that there was a a relative conclusion not that far into this like the seventh episode of the second season I was like when did you guys (laughs) give up on this show like yeah yeah well that's a standard I mean a lot of people have that difficulty with the show and actually um well just to to go back to what Eric said for a second uh, it's weird. Like as much as I love Twin Peaks, I never feel like any sense of surprise if someone like really doesn't. I mean, it's not one of those things that you know. I think you know that somehow uh, liking Twin Peaks is in any, in any way like hooked up to like well informed taste or anything like that. It's like you know, <laughs> no, it's no, but like, the no, thing it, is, like I've literally yeah. never met anyone who has talked about Twin Peaks in a negative way. Like maybe it's just that the people who don't like it just don't talk about it. But like mm-hmm. everyone who I've ever like 
you know, who's mentioned Twin Peaks to me has been, you know, has has talked about how how brilliant David Lynch is. And yeah. I'm also kind of surprised in that I'm normally the one who has to qualify shows when I'm recommending them to my family. I'm them being being like, okay, it's a little weird, but you have to watch it despite the weirdness. I'm the one who likes kind of the the weird show, yeah, uh, stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, think I mean, boiled. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, like I said, I mean, given that my attachment to the show is so bound up in my personal history, you know, it's like, well, it's my personal history, right? It's not other people's personal history. So it's not surprising mm-hmm. to me if they're like, uh, yeah, this isn't, isn't my thing. And, and the show has very definite flaws. I mean, it's, I mean, I think that's part of, partly bound up in just the fact that it's very experimental, that they threw a lot of things up against the wall and not everything worked. And so, yeah, there's there are elements of the unintentionally ridiculous as well as the, you know, intentionally ridiculous. <laughs> and it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference. I'm not always sure. Yeah, like, of yeah. What, what... Well, for my part, I have to say, like, I was I was kind of more or less on board until that third episode that we watched. Um like I liked I liked the first episode and especially like there there's some some details to the way the show is crafted that that were really really great like the very slow kind of drip 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 of people finding out one by one yeah. I liked that yeah like that yeah. like like little stuff like that was super super well done um but yeah that's the third episode that that we watched and again the at the building of the atmosphere with the music and and all of this kind of stuff but that third episode that we watched was kind of like I assume we missed a shit ton in between. Yeah. Like I mm-hmm. had, I did not know what was going on or like, and then there's like a weird dream sequence. And again, that the sequence at the end where the, the uh, like attack. I, I think if on the, I think of him as Robin Trubatsky senior, because from how I met your mother, that's what Ray Wise has been like. That's what I've seen him the most in is, is Robin's death. <laughs> well, he's in so many <laughs> yeah. things, but yeah. like, yeah. um, but yeah, like Leland. that, like that whole thing. I was like, I don't even know like what's going on here. I don't know who this dude or the, especially who the yep. other like the scraggly, creepy dude is. Yep, the niece and, apparently. Yeah. Uh no, the the other man, not the woman. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, um, Bob, and right? I, it was also just like a really disturbing scene. So I was kind of like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched, <laughs> but I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah, I yeah, want it to stop now. Oh, see, I I was when we were talking about which episodes to watch. I actually got the recommendation for those the, the particular three episodes we watched from someone who I think it was a New York magazine. It was like, oh, if you're getting ready for the for the the new series, the return, well, here's a good idea about you know how to prepare. And they recommended those three episodes for the sort of shortest path for preparation. Um, but kind of, kind of to so it was more like a memory like, refresher than like a, these are the episodes to get you into the show. Yeah, well, I mean, my impression was that it was that it was the latter, right? That if you just kind of wanted to skip through the original and just start watching the return, these are the episodes that that you would watch, right? Not so even if you had seen none of it before. Um, but yeah, after I rewatched them, I was like, yeah, there might, there might have been a better way to do this. And because, you know, you talk about the, <laughs> talk about the feeling of not knowing what's going on. I mean, Twin Peaks is the kind of series where you can watch and rewatch and not know what's going on. So the feeling of, I don't know what's happening here survives repeated viewings uh, I mean, <laughs> right you, you're not sure whether it's because we skipped episodes or if it's just twin peaks between because twin peaks just and you don't the know nature what's going of the show. on yeah exactly uh, well and but, i have to well, say i have to say second second guessing and or regretting your episode choices is is a classic problem of this podcast so we've both done that 700 mm. times <laughs> Well, glad and to we, did it. we haven't we had it at the same time with the but... West Wing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> happy to be part of that tradition. So that that the the last episode that I had you all watch, uh, Lonely Souls. Um, I, I'm pretty sure David Lynch said it was his least favorite thing that he ever directed. And <laughs> wow, which is That's interesting. Yeah, because you know he's he's made some interesting directorial decisions in his time, no doubt. But um, uh, he did not want to reveal a killer for uh, Laura Palmer. I mean, I think if he had had his way, 
they would never would have, have kept it a secret. I mean, maybe indefinitely. Just continued angering my parents. Yeah, that's right. That was that was the point. That was the point. Just trying to keep people his upset. whole his whole entire yeah. goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, so a question for you, Christopher, about the since the show came back for a new season recently. Yes. And if this is like giving away too much for people who who listen to this who are planning to listen to more, then you know you can just not answer. If this is like getting to too spoilery weeds, but like. Does the new season continue the Laura Palmer story, or is it the same characters with a completely different like story altogether? Uh, it's definitely a continuation of the story from the original two seasons, and okay. Laura Palmer figures in that. I'm not sure I can say a lot more than that. Um, but, the, but there's more, like, I mean, as we saw in the third episode, there, there's there's more going on than just Laura. Well, I guess we also saw from the second episode with the um, uh, with the investigation into into the girl who was found on the train tracks and, and all that. Right. And uh, okay, so 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 there's kind of a, a bigger picture going on more than just the one investigation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, nefarious things are afoot in the town of Twin Peaks. It was, and and yeah. not just the town of Twin Peaks. I mean, Laura Palmer has a kind of significance that i mean really transcends that town and even interesting yeah i mean it is my experience of many creepy mystery shows that when someone gets murdered in a sleepy small town all sorts of (laughs) nefarious crazy shit comes to light right right well, if I can just quickly confess something. So until a couple months ago, as when we were recording this, it's a couple months ago, when people were talking about the new series revival, uh, when I heard people talking about Twin Peaks, the show, I knew so little about it, I did not know it took place in a small town. Because there's Twin Peaks in San Francisco that are called the Twin Peaks. And so I just assumed that it was a show that was set in in San Francisco until I saw during the revival there was a someone had posted it like a on Twitter like a picture of the sign Twin Peaks population 50,000 whatever and right. it was like oh okay i guess it's a small town mystery yeah <laughs> this is a yeah. very very different show than anything i ever huh. imagined right so right. you you really were a twin peaks noob i mean i never watched it but i was as, really a noob yeah as well established i you know am extremely familiar with the music knew that it was a murder mystery that may or may not ever get solved right. also other random tidbits of information that trickle out just like in conversation when you're friends with you Christopher (laughs) (laughs) the only other thing I knew about Twin Peaks other than the title was the fact that there were going to be dream sequences with red curtains and people talking backwards because I didn't know about the Simpsons yep Yep. I, I didn't mean, know that about that. The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Yeah, ah. but <laughs> yep. I did know that. Um, I did know that Charlotte York's husband Trey was one of the main characters. So that's Kyle McLaughlin. Sorry, who is Charlotte York and who is Trey? <sighs> A character oh, from okay, Sex sorry. and the City. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. so, yeah, Kyle yeah, McLaughlin. Kyle, McLaughlin, had a long Kyle run. McLaughlin goes on to later on, he played um, the the first husband of one of the women on Sex and the City. Yes. That's my yes. primary okay. Kyle McLaughlin association, followed by Showgirls, <laughs> and now right. this. And, I mean, we, we really have, I mean, I didn't say this before, but certainly a lot of my feeling about Twin Peaks is bound up in my affection for the character of Special Agent Dale Cooper. So he's kind of um, like a weirdo, huh? He's got like yeah, weird he is. On. He is. He he is. And um, yeah, I, I <laughs> especially in the aftermath of the new series, I, I'm I'm working through exactly why I feel the way I do about about uh, Dale Cooper and what he represents. Um. But but yeah, I mean certainly I, I don't think I can say that I have more sort of a feeling of personal affection uh for any other fictional character, maybe period, than I do for Dale Cooper. <laughs> uh I mean and, he, and, he is a great character. He was he was easily my favorite part part of the show. Uh was as soon as he shows up like talking into his little recorder when he's doing narrating while driving, he's talking about the trees as he drives into Twin Peaks, like that was like a, a shot of like energy into, into the show where I was yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm paying attention. The, the, this guy's interesting. Um, yeah. he, he, every scene he was in was uh, at, at the minimum, you know, interesting and more, more commonly like really engaging. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was also like, not that it was exactly a mystery, but like, I for for me, I was kind of also engaged in kind of like figuring out what his deal is because again, he seems like kind of a weirdo. Like, I don't even know what specific instance this is in reference to, but just as an example, uh, I have it written down in my notes here. Cooper says Girl Scout like he's never heard of it before, and like I feel like he has a lot. He of says those... Girl Scout. Yeah, he's, he kind yeah. of puts the emphasis on Girl Scout. Yeah. I feel like he has a lot of weird little things where it's like it's not just like okay, so you've never been to this town or you've never been to this part of the state before or whatever. It's like. Okay, humans know that though. Like, why like, are you are you like secretly yeah. a space alien, like yeah. undercover as an FBI agent? Like, what is yeah. your deal, dude? Uh-huh. Which and that's not not uh, not like in a negative way. I'm saying like that was one of the things that was kind of intriguing for the show about me. It was like I wanted I in addition to wanting to know you know who the murderer is and whatever. Like, I also mm-hmm. want to know like what the deal is with this like FBI agent who seems like he might be a space alien. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's. I mean, Kyle McLaughlin said... Don't tell me that, if he is an alien. I don't want to know. No, <laughs> I might watch I, it at some point. <laughs> there's no reason to think, and I don't think this spoils much. I, and there's so much, obviously, speculation and conspiracy mongering about Twin Peaks, but I've never heard anyone say that Dale Cooper is an alien. So if that's... <laughs> I'm sure there's could be. I'm sure there's somebody out there who, who thinks that that's, that's what explains the show, but uh, I've never heard anyone, Hi, anyone right say here. that. Now, it's... We're, uh, we're going to start the theory right now based on three episodes. Yeah, even yeah. though we, we, have, we have not watched <laughs> the vast majority of the series, we can say definitively, Special Agent Dale Cooper... It's an anagram of an of an alien name. <laughs> there we'll it get is. There eventually, by the end of this episode, we'll we'll figure out what it what it, what it actually yeah, means. We cracked it right there. But I, I think uh, <laughs> this is certainly well known that Kyle McLaughlin was channeling David Lynch himself. In oh, in, interesting. Yeah, that, that the the uh, that he well, and someone I, I, wait, was it uh, was it John Waters? It was someone like that. Uh, once said that uh, David Lynch himself was like Jimmy Stewart from Mars. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is kind of what Cooper is like. Yeah, I think that's a, it that's works really very good. well as a description of, of hey, Dale Cooper. So John Waters and I both have this figured out. Yeah. And it's that he's, it's that he's a Martian. Yeah, I think there's a big overlap between things that you have figured out and things that John Waters has figured out. Hey, man, you don't know. <laughs> um... I, I will say it was kind of. I'm going to retract uh, that comment. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I will say it was kind of uh, interesting that um, there seemed to be, at least in the episodes that we saw, there seemed to be no one in the town of Twin Peaks who was like pulling each other aside and being like, "Yo, what's what's this guy's deal? Like, is he an alien or something?" Like, it, everyone seemed to kind of take like when he's like taking the entire police force out into the woods and he mm-hmm. says, "I'm gonna you know figure out who killed her by throwing rocks at a glass bottle." <laughs> right. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> And if I should strike the bottle after Sheriff Truman says a particular name, make a check to the right of that name. Oh, Sheriff, I almost forgot. When you say the name, also briefly state that person's relationship to Laura Palmer. Ready? Ready. Everyone's just yeah. like, yeah, Dalai Lama, sure, we're on board with it. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that, that moment? Was interesting. There's that moment <laughs> where uh, Sheriff Truman takes him aside and is like, okay, okay, level with me, right? You're, you're just shitting us. And he's... The idea for all this really came from a dream. Yes, it did. Yes. <laughs> and, and you could read that as like as disbelief or as or as validation. And I like at the time I was thinking like he was just like, oh, it was really based on a dream, you yeah. know, like you, you, he's testing the, the Cooper's conviction of, of the story, you right, know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and there, there are a few moments in the show where, uh, particularly Truman will be like, all right, enough, what? is happening so i think it, that well, they and it's use... good to have like a good even keeled like audience yeah surrogate in yeah there. yeah and i think yeah. that's exactly how how truman functions sometimes uh harry s truman harry s <laughs> yeah truman. conspicuous right. name uh-huh yes indeed it comes out in the in the the return i don't think this is spoiling anything to say that he has a brother whose name is franklin delano truman which is oh, a God. weird yeah. <laughs> so so his parents have like a weird his parents have problems yeah. no doubt <laughs> <laughs> i feel like franklin delano truman is a worse name to definitely yeah oh yeah definitely. absolutely i guess one kind of question i had about sort of the show as a whole is like what's the the overall blend between weird agent cooper alien fbi shit 
and like small town soap opera stuff because I felt like like I said whenever Cooper was on screen I was way more engaged in the story I was like kind of you know and even in the super weird stuff where he's having dream sequences with like you know dwarves that are talking backwards and all this stuff uh I felt I was way more engaged in that than I was in you know with, with, with like the the kids running around with you know um what was it Snake and Bobby were, were running with yeah. whatever they were doing? Mike and Bobby. Um, yeah, yeah. Or in like Maginamics, uh abusive boyfriend or any of those kind of plot lines, you mean? Or or, or or Ed and the wife with the eye patch who's getting to hang up the drapes all the time. Yep, oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, Nadine. I, I, I don't know. I, I completely kind of like started to tune out a There's lot. There's a lot of, of really that. weird characters in this town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so there's, there's obviously. There's a kind of, uh, you know, s- uh, satirizing of 80s and earlier style soap operas going on. So you have like the soap opera in the show that people watch, uh, Invitation to Love. Uh, oh, that's what that was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's clearly the case that there's a kind of, you know, loving mockery of soap operas that's happening <laughs> on on the show and i think maybe watching it now i think you know it's probably safe to say that 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 kind of daytime soap has less cultural preeminence now it than does it did for when sure. twin peaks came out right uh, so, Definitely. Um, Although, from what I hear, Riverdale has kind of brought some of that back. I hear a lot of well, people talking about Riverdale. So, but that's the a prime. That's a primetime soap, though. And there's lots and lots and lots of primetime soaps, like the like all the you know, uh, Dallas revival. And, yeah, uh, and the yeah. and the you know Shondaland Thursday night shows on ABC. And uh, um, I guess yeah, I guess those are soaps. Yeah, and, I don't really and, think of them that way. You know, but yeah. the, a lot of people refer to them as primetime soaps, but that's a whole different world from and you know a lot of a lot of shows get dubbed kind of soapy but that's a whole different world from daytime soaps yeah. which are daily yeah. and you know run for decades and you know right. that kind of stuff that like I, yeah no i agree well and several of them several of the like long-running ones have actually been canceled at this point and like there's it's also like it's just much of a less like commonplace normal thing that like a- enough people are watching a soap that people generally know what's happening kind of stuff. Like I'm agreeing with you, Christopher is what I'm saying. Like that it, they're, they're that kind of, that kind of daytime soap is definitely mm-hmm. less culturally dominant than it was at the time. Right. So I think as a result, the, the kind of background or the, the events in the town that have that kind of soap opera feel can seem odder to us than they might have at the time when, you know, what they were making fun of was more obvious uh, but I mean, for me, I, I don't know. I, f- I felt a connection with enough of the other characters in the show that I, I enjoyed it enough that even I can say that I enjoyed the the backstretch of season two, which is notoriously bad. Uh, so after <laughs> after they after they forced after after ABC forced David Lynch to reveal a killer, have a kind of resolution of the who killed Laura Palmer arc, he more or less walked away from the show. Oh. At least it's at least it's part of the show's lore that he did. Uh and he, he returned <laughs> at least like at least like emotionally he walked yeah, away from Well he he didn't direct any other episodes until the until the uh season finale of Oh wow of the second mm. season. And I I mean I've read anyway that actually um that ABC did not see the completed version of Lonely Souls uh until it was sort of too late to do anything about how shocking that it makes was. perfect sense yeah i mean because it is <laughs> that, it i is, absolutely believe that it is a it is ex, ex, it's one of the most difficult things i've ever watched on a screen and it was on primetime television yeah primetime network television in yeah. 1991 or two yeah. like yeah that's, that's bonkers there's right? no way they saw and all so of it. and so the yeah. the the story is that the that Twin Peaks was more or less canceled, just dead in the water after, after that after episode. That, episode yeah. or after, that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, after that, the show was just kind of adrift until the the, the season finale of season two, which is actually um, a very well. David Lynch comes back to the show. He, he directs again, and it's uh, he has to deal with a lot of the 
garbage that had accumulated over the episodes <laughs> when he was more or less away from the show. Um, but it's a fantastic episode and one that left interesting. Uh, left a definite. He's able to kind of mood. clean up a lot of the mess that had happened. Um, well, it doesn't way. so much clean it up as <laughs> channel it into something deadly. <laughs> oh my! Okay, <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> That's a that's a good teaser for it, I have to say. It's interesting though that you bring up the kind of kind of small town soap opera stuff, Eric, because that so did not bother me at all. And it's probably because I watch more of that kind of TV. Like I watch a lot <laughs> of things that you would probably that you would consider to be primetime soaps. Like I do watch Riverdale and I watched all of Pretty Little Liars. And I, you know, I used to watch How to Get Away with Murder until I got sick of it. And I used to watch Empire until I got sick of it. And on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> so I'm like I'm like not really it doesn't really bother me to have a show where like a lot of plot lines are about like you know a woman who's cheating on her abusive husband with a teenager and other teenagers who are cheating on each other and that's a lot of drama and then one of them mm-hmm. dies and you know some other guy is like a prisoner to his eye patch wearing wife like <laughs> I'm just kind of I'm just kind of on board with that in my television like as a rule <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, on a plot level, I'm I'm fine with all of that. Like that that all sounds like you know fair fair game for for any TV show. Like I mean I and like in terms of soap operas, the one that I've probably seen the most of is Downton Abbey. Um, oh where, yeah. Where I you know like I I I legit like got into that for for the first three seasons, most of the first three seasons before I gave up. But I I, I think it's more the style of acting that I was unfamiliar with the that that. Like, it, to my mind, was sort of interrupting the maybe more conventional, just maybe easier to to, to uh, identify with uh, detective procedural, yeah. the, the more mystery side of the story. Um, it would be kind of like, you know, here's Ed, you know, and his, his wife who's crazy about drapes. And it'd be like, okay, get back to the mystery, get back to the mystery, you know, it's, <laughs> right. um, it, or... or, or, or whatever the hell the actor who played Bobby was doing. I don't know what he was, was going for, but it just didn't, the, the, his, his acting just didn't, did not really work yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the people do kind of seem like they're, I don't want to say in a, a dream isn't quite right. And I mean, I know there were dream sequences, but like they also seemed like they were sort of, they were kind of oddly like, performing in a weird play or something uh, like well, well, they, they were very uh showy where other actors like they like uh other scenes would be subtle and then there'd be a scene with some of the characters that'd be really like 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 uh the, the psychiatrist uh, dr jacoby the yeah. one who who finds them on the elevator in the pilot like he like bursts in just to be wacky it seems just from the little bit of <laughs> that one scene that we get of him out of these three episodes, he like interrupts the the police procedural just to be like. No, by the way, uh, Laura's uh, Laura's parents, uh, they didn't know that she was seeing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I was like, who is this person? Well, that's, what, that's <laughs> what I mean. It's like, it's like yeah. there's. Like I'm not even talking about individual performances so much as that. Like I yeah, it did a lot of a lot of like the acting and characterization was kind of like a little bit all over the place. So it like wasn't clear. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's almost right. like they weren't all on the it's, same page about right, like, how seriously right. they were taking the show or something. That's exactly. Yeah, well, it. so there's yeah. there's the whole issue of you know the the you know how the the acting is sort of stylized and that's connected i think in part too with just david lynch's sense for language he's um well idiosyncratic is i think that's a nice way to put it um he has this very <laughs> odd sense sometimes of 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 he i mean he would tell you that that's not his forte right that he's um you know whatever he, he was originally a he's always been a visual artist first and foremost um, I think the primary way to kind of get a sense of like this pure oddness of David Lynch's language is to read some of the lyrics that he's he's written, and which is true of most of the songs for the show. He 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 wrote the lyrics. As oh, kind like of where they're in the roadhouse where they're singing. Those the are his, his yeah his songs. Mm-hmm.
there's a kind of childlike simplicity about the lyrics, I think, that <laughs> you get a sort of pure distilled sense of, of David Lynch as a as a writer. Um but uh but also, you know, there's just the sense too that that's built into the show of like it's kind of refusal to let you settle into a certain kind of emotional space that I think Yeah is connected up with to the the stylized acting. Uh so when you you have just well like scenes of especially in the pilot i think like so scenes when people are finding out about uh laura's death when her parents are are finding out you have this these emotional displays that are on the one hand, you know, completely appropriate, right? I mean, given what they've just found out, but they're also dialed up just a little too hot. And so it, it, <laughs> right. it teeters. Right, so you don't like fully get. It, it teeters on the edge of the comic. And so you can't kind of settle into the emotional space of just the deep sadness of what these people are experiencing. And, and you don't, know kind of whether to to laugh or to cry or to be afraid and i think that the kind of that happens so often in the show i think where you just kind of can't you can't tell how to feel and it just causes a kind of anxiety yeah i'd say that's really accurate that like not being able to fully like settle into yeah what this show is and how you're supposed to feel about it. And, and yeah, no, I, that's a really, really correct assessment. And, um, and it seems like that is, I don't know, something maybe you're a lot more on board with when, whereas Eric and I are like, what, I, what is <laughs> uh, this? What is I mean, this like, like one example place that we're in? I would, I don't, I don't want it. No. One example of that, I had a question about this, is uh, Andy, the guy who's the police station, who's like the photographer, yeah, who is always crying. Uh huh. I couldn't tell if we were supposed to be laughing at the fact that he's crying, <laughs> like because they they, yeah. they were talking about it so much, and it was in the middle of like a murder scene, so it didn't seem like the time for 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 jokes, but it was kind of plain, like his banter with the the. Uh, receptionist or secretary or whatever the police station is Andy supposed to be comic relief <laughs> I mean it's I think there's not a straightforward answer to that I mean in a, in yeah. a sense yes he is but he's also I think emotionally attuned to what is happening in scenes like that the in a way the other characters yeah. are not right that it's that it is cause for weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and right and and that so yeah so it is it it's funny it is but i think in a way that's you know i think david lynch also many times there's a sense of like he wants to say oh you think that's funny where it's it's an indictment of the viewer it's like no no he's actually yeah, exactly. he's connected to what's happening here in a way that you are not and that's not andy's problem that's your problem yeah but but yeah, there's so many scenes like that. <laughs> it's it's like you you don't you don't know how to feel, and I think yeah, I'm not and that, yeah, not sure the yeah, the, and and where uh where the and I'm not claiming to have some kind of deep insight into the artistic motivations there, but it, but it, but I think what it you can have a lot more it, insight than we do though. So <laughs> well, uh, you know, as much time as I spent with this show would be really sad, I guess. <laughs> If I t- didn't have something to say about it, but the, uh, <laughs> but but I think uh, you know when you when you're in that kind of liminal space of I don't know how to feel that it causes the viewer to maybe be critical about their emotional responses in a way that that you wouldn't if you were just watching a show that had more traditional um, approaches to what you're supposed to feel in connection to any particular moment of the show. Um, and which I think, I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that's something we're meant to experience as we, yeah, as I we just, watch the show. I, I, I don't know. I, on an intellectual level, like I 100% respect that as an artistic choice. If that is what they were intending to do, I just, I feel like that's a, maybe a more effective thing with a documentary, maybe where if it's like if they're showing something that's real and it's challenging you to think about something that's real, that's one mm-hmm. thing. 
but if they're making artistic choices and then making them to criticize the viewer or or, or to I, I'm not I'm not it's not really sure if I if I, if I totally uh, agree with agree with that as as like a way of of forcing introspection if, if, since they do have all the power to completely drive the plot and and to do it any way they want it's not like sure. their hands were tied yeah and it's <laughs> right and it's also yeah it's it's so hard and I think I mean so I'm a <laughs> I'm a moral philosopher by by training uh, and. I know it's a weird thing to say, but it's it's also just true. Like literally, uh, it's all it's your job. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually yeah, your job. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, but you know, it, it's it's difficult sometimes to know when artistic choices are being made, and and that's generally a problem in evaluating works of art. Not like it's unique to Twin Peaks, but but I think uh, oh, yeah. there are areas where I I don't. Well, so for, here's a, here's a good example, right? Instead of, instead of trying to describe this in the abstract, I'll just kind of point to a particular example. Um, so the whole issue of how young women, women of high school age, are sexualized in the show, um, I, I think there are there's it's there's a critique that is is going on of you know this the standard. Um, the expectations that uh, Lynch or, or David or um, Mark Frost, his co-writer, uh, are making, but it's it's not. I can't I can't say it's always successful because or anything like um, because certainly characters from the show. I think Audrey Horn is a, a probably this a, a central example of this. So. She emerged from the show as like she, a she, sex. She's symbol. the spoiled daughter, right? The what? The daughter of the hotel manager. Right? Yeah, right. So Charlene uh, she's, Fenn, yeah. Yeah, so you, so you know, she's the kind of you know Bobby Socks, um, you know, siren that you know immediately has a crush on Dale Cooper, and and so it, you know, she she kind of emerged from those episodes as kind of like a breakout star, and still, you know, many people think of her as their favorite character. And, you know, so she's, she's clearly sexualized and she's also in high school. And I think it's, it's safe to say that there's a kind of criticism being made by the show of that attitude, but they're also indulging it in ways that are uncomfortable and this reminds me a lot of our dis- of Eric and my discussion of uh the social network there was a yeah. real like I had a, <laughs> I I was struggling struggling with a similar thing and I mean I think I think you you love the movie Eric but to some extent I think you you agreed with me a little bit about this where it's like I did it's really difficult to tell when the movie is is criticizing the character's misogyny and and their their behavior misogynist behavior and when it's it's like indulging it and and just sort of uncritically showing it on screen, you know what I mean? And it's like right. so like there's some sometimes where it's like I feel like this movie is criticizing these characters for for you know talking this way or thinking this way, but also the movie is talking and thinking this way. So like it's really hard to tell where the criticism is and whether it's there and whether it's right. not and you know what i mean like yeah. you, it's a it's a really difficult way to mm-hmm. to be to to include a critical perspective in your work like unless unless you're going like in like some sort of all out parody direction it's a really really right. really difficult line to walk that i yeah. think usually ends up in some kind of only somewhat successful but also kind of gross yeah, nice. yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like with Lynch in particular, is this, uh, as I mentioned before, there's this idea of sort of provoking a certain response in the viewer and then mocking them for it. It's like, oh, you mm-hmm. you think this, you know, you, you think this this woman's attractive? Well, she's in high school and you're gross. So he, yeah. you know, he is sexualizing these women with, you might say, the intention of mocking us for responding. To them as sexual, um, and, and so, I, mean, I don't know. That's what's going on, but that's. I think it's kind of of a piece with the way I experience other. Parts it it of, does seem of to be a kind of a recurring motif yeah. of the show with a lot of right. different characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back to the Andy thing. I mean, like, 
I guess a more conventional director, you know, if they wanted to convey the horror of the situation, they could just have Sheriff Truman cry and show that this can be, you know, a, a major character who is both able to solve the problems and cry. Whereas mm-hmm. here, it's it's the character who cries and who is a little bit goofy about it, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's right. so it's kind of. That, that, I think that's I think that's my hang up with it is the fact that that seems to be his defining characteristic, so that's why it plays as comedy. It doesn't play right. as a part of a a whole human being. It plays as mm-hmm. this is what this person does, and also yeah, I mean has I think like kind of a jokey right. tone, you know. Yeah, once you once you I mean, in the sort of broader context of the show, I think there's a, a real case to be made that Andy is some kind of a Dostoevskian you know divine fool character um but but also you know so it, it, I, think I read in, crime and punishment in high school and have forgotten all of it yeah but you know there's this idea that like that the divine speaks through the idiots among us uh through the the ones that we tend ah. to mock uh and regard as ridiculous yeah, like Lear's um, but also i think also. that uh yeah yeah but also i think that um you know it's say in not having sheriff truman cry there something i'm really curious about with the show and i need to think more about it but uh so just david lynch's whole approach in the show and the the presence of you know establishment figures so Mm -hmm. the uh you know the sort of central uh the folks who are supposed to figure this out right they're you know deeply establishment types right so as an fbi agent and other bureau figures who show up here and there, including David Lynch himself playing uh, the uh, director, Gordon Cole. Um, and you've got this, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. And, uh, I mean, these are good people, right? I mean, you're supposed to admire them. Uh, it seems like you, um, you're supposed to kind of enjoy their company on screen. But, you know, they, they represent just this kind of standard forms of American power, and uh, so I, I'm never, I'm not quite sure, sort of how we're supposed to think about that. Because one thing that's interesting about the show, and I think that we can say even with the three episodes that you all have seen, is that you know they fail. Uh, I mean, Dale Cooper does not figure out what's going on in time to prevent the gruesome murder of uh, Laura's cousin Maddie. Yeah, the other woman. Right, right. Uh, and, and there's this whole, you know, this this motif of it's happening again, mm-hmm. that this is, it's a, this, the show obviously starts with the body of this dead girl and the powers of the establishment kind of rally around to fix things, to, sh- to show what's what's happened. And they blow it. I mean, they, they don't figure it out in time. It happens again. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm not sure really what's being, if there's something that's being said there about, uh, you know, the, the sort of sy- systematic problems that the death of, of Laura Palmer uh, sort of stands for. Well, I guess maybe, again, if this is a spoiler, then, you know, you don't need to answer. But I kind of, uh, do we ever meet Diane or do we ever hear from uh, Cooper's, like, superiors? Like, not, not the not the special team that comes in to help with forensics, but, like, his, his bosses at the FBI... To, yeah, so um, want to you, him so for, you do. Um, uh, he does get in trouble for uh, some of the stuff that goes down that I don't think you all uh, have seen. I'm like, I know you haven't. Um, and yeah. uh, his, you know, his sort of Philadelphia bosses, right? So David Lynch, who director Gordon Cole, um, he shows up uh, quite a few times as a as a presence in the show. Um, but uh, but but Cole uh, is. And he's uh, very much sort of the mentor for someone like uh, like Dale Cooper. I mean, he has the same kind of. Well, look, I'm an establishment figure, but I have. I'm into all this weird, mystical dream logic approach. <laughs> Listening to, to my dreams. To yeah, me yeah, this exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's just such a. It's one thing that that makes me so interested in those with the figure of Dale Cooper, right? It's like as a he's like as a, a younger man, right? He sort of he's in this this role where he is, you know an establishment figure. He's an FBI agent uh, connected up to the whole sort of power apparatus of the state, but he has this sort of new, new approach, right? So the connection to meditation, dream logic. Yeah. Different from your standard square FBI agent. 
Right, right. Sure. Uh, and uh, but but like I said, it's it, I'm not sort of what, sure what's being indicted here. Like it's you, like I said, you, you know, we get to the end of this this arc, and uh, all of the powers that are supposed to do this, even you know, armed with uh, you know some kind of wokeness, you know, to the, uh, you know, alternate ways of of looking at the world. They fail. They don't do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, So I I pretty much, uh, I've run out of stuff in my notes. Uh, Christopher, was there anything else that you wanted us to to touch on uh, before before we wrap it up? Uh, I mean, not not necessarily. I mean, uh, I I think uh, I was just going to recommend one one essay that I I read uh, years ago. Uh, when I was just starting to get into the show that I think is, is really interesting, especially with regard to uh, the, the treatment of women in, in Twin Peaks and how that is connected to other shows with a similar structure. I mean, shows that are built around the, the, the murder of a young woman. Um, there's a friend of mine from grad school, uh, Alice Bolin, B-O-L-I-N. Uh, she has an essay for the... Uh, LA uh, um, review of books called, uh, well, what is it? Oh, uh, it's called The Oldest Story uh, Toward a Theory of a Dead Girl Show. And she's actually got a book coming out. Mm. I had, oh, this out sounds yet. so far up my alley. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, you need wow. to, yeah, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> I need to uh, read this article. <laughs> it's such a good, it's such a good essay. And she's actually got a, a, a book coming out called Dead Girls that I think uh, explores. Mm. Uh, some of these things oh in, in more detail, but, uh, I, but yeah, I, I, mean, I, like I don't I to totally, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't totally, I'm not totally down with, with her, her take of the show, but, um, I think it's, it's really, uh, really important to, uh, reading for, you know, anybody that wants to kind of, uh, that's into Twin Peaks at all, or, uh, wants to think through some of the issues with particularly about, about gender and the treatment of women on the show. And um, I mean, and again, you that know, sounds like that again, right up my alley. Yeah, well, it's that's really all good. I ever talk about. I, I, I'm, I'm the uh, just generally speaking, I find that shows that I really love, even if I disagree with the the take of of the analysis or the the, the thesis of of the of the piece, uh, that I, I do really uh, love, like diving diving into those sorts of criticisms of, of of the show. I mean, I really feel like that, you know either makes you appreciate the subtleties of the show or just makes you, you know, think about, think about ways it could be better or, or whatever. That's Mm -hmm. something that I've just been increasing. I've been on a kick of those recently time that I probably should have spent, you know, for instance, watching more than three episodes of the Sopranos, which I started two years ago (laughs) and and never kept on going. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, that's the, the dead girl trope in particular is a really widespread and interesting one. So I'm, I'm interested in reading a a fresh take on it because there's so many shows and movies Mm -hmm. that do that. uh, And like, it's really interesting to watch the different ways that people try to kind of grapple with it differently in different shows. Right. I, I mean, I don't want to give away what it is because it gives away the whole conceit. It gives away the whole go, but there's something that I, that I, uh, saw recently where it was, uh, it was structured to make you think that, that that's the dead girl trope, but, but, the, but that's a very, very subversive, uh, kind of, uh, playing with your expectations around that because it, mm-hmm. it's very much set up with, with the, all the, all the trappings of, of the, of the dead girl, uh, right. trope. Um, yeah. Um, but it's you know so, so much of 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 the original series Twin Peaks was unplanned and uh, so they I mean the whole character of of Maddie Ferguson was as I understand it not something they originally had in mind they they hired Cheryl Lee to do these uh, shots of dead Laura Palmer and uh, David Lynch decided that he really wanted her to have a more active role in the show so they created another role for her. Um, so it's in a way I feel like all the ways that the sort of the story of Twin Peaks has expanded since the original series is sort of David Lynch, David Lynch trying to do justice to this character of, of, of Laura Palmer who originally is, you know, just, you know, uh, it's her absence. That's a, the character, a character in the original series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, For please, sure. please send along that essay. We'll definitely read it. 
I will. We can link to that in the, the homework assignment. Well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, which is what everyone wants when they listen to a podcast about TV. <laughs> That's right. If they're it's like homework. us, then mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're, we're geeks, remember? Yeah, yeah. Um, Pro- Professor McCammon is assigned this homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. which which is uh, takes us to if, if we got our homework assignments, I think uh, maybe end of class. Yeah, that's how it uh, works. So, Christopher. Th- thank you so much for for, for joining us on the, on the show. It's been uh, re- really fun ha- having you as our as our guest geek. Yeah, well, hey, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. There's not much I enjoy more in this life than talking about Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I guess speaking of homework, uh, Eric, uh, I think we're we're foregoing a, ge- a guest for next for next episode, which means it's up to you to decide what we're watching next. Yes. Uh, so for the last, I guess, two episodes of this season, we've, we've had a lot of fun with guest geeks like Christopher all season. Uh, last two episodes here, we're going to be uh, going back to our, our old ways, uh, and I'm going to be uh, be the geek again. Going to make Emily watch a movie called What We Do in the Shadows. That sounds deeply sketchy, but also like something that would happen on Twin Peaks. It sounds like something that David Lynch could have directed, but it very yeah. it's very, very different. Uh, so before we go, Christopher, if people want to find you online, uh, where can they do so? Um, well, uh, I guess the the my only sort of steady online presence right now uh, is my uh, academia.edu site. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yeah that's uh so i mean if you're interested in uh what i have written about uh political philosophy which is um you know a lot? What, I, what i do no, well i wouldn't say that uh <laughs> but uh yeah yeah that's um you can find that's what you do that. when you're not thinking about twin peaks and about yeah. all the cultural implications of <laughs> the very right, rare right. times when you're not yeah. thinking about twin peaks. <laughs> yeah yeah so uh and uh yeah good. that's about it really uh and emily where can people find you online i am on twitter at ej reports and i'm on twitter and instagram at hey hey esj this is giant geek versus mega noob drinking really damn good coffee and hot <laughs> And eating a donut. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.